Okay, mic check, one, two, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, let's get it. Okay, so if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. crazy, crazy, crazy. What? Great parade. Red. Who drank my apple juice? I, 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 I like to give a big round of to my band, Sexual Chocolate. Please. What? One game, one on one. For what? Your heart. It was like his dip just talked. Baby, please. Please. Please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. Yo, you got the juice now, man. And that's the double truth. Roo, roo, Greetings, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Adventures in Black Cinema. My name is Desmond Thorne, and I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. And welcome to the first annual ABC Oscar Extravaganza. Yes, today we will be talking all things Oscars 2021 and be discussing all of the categories in the 93rd Academy Awards. We will be mostly focusing on the major categories, but I'll do a little bit of talking about the smaller categories as well and talking about the process of Oscar voting and some history that has been made this year as well as Things that I consider to be snubs, things that really could have been this year, given the year in film that we've had. But first of all, I would like to dedicate this episode to Jason Smith, who was the CEO of Starburns Industries, which is a podcast production company. They have been working with Amanda on her podcast, Small Doses, for years, and Jason was very intent on helping the Smart, Funny, and Black Podcast Network help to elevate my podcast. He really wanted me to guest on his show. He wanted me to guest on other people's shows. And I was very touched at how much he really believed in this podcast. So we had a meeting a few weeks ago. And I had actually never really even considered doing a special Oscar episode until he mentioned it. And I was like, you know what? That's actually a good idea. I can talk about the Oscars for hours. And about a week after that call, he unexpectedly passed away. So this is dedicated to Jason's memory and sending so much love to his family, his friends, and everyone at Starburns Industries. Even though I only met him once, I was very, very moved by how much he really liked the podcast and how much he really wanted to elevate it in terms of audience and reach and everything like that. So thank you, Jason. Thank you so much. This is this is for you, man. So first, in terms of these Oscars, let's talk about the process because it's quite complicated and strange and I don't think a lot of people know exactly what the process is in terms of getting films nominated and then voting on those nominated films. 
So first of all, the Academy is broken up into branches. And these branches are based on what your main job is when you are invited to join the Academy. So if you are an actor, you're part of the acting branch. If you're a cinematographer, you're part of the cinematography branch. If you're a documentarian, you're part of the documentary branch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these are the folks that are deciding which films get nominated based on votes that they do initially. So these acting nominees are decided by the acting branch. Cinematography nominees are decided by the cinematography branch. Directors decided by the directing branch, et cetera, and so on. And so that's why a lot of these nominees and then eventual wins will oftentimes line up with the Guild Awards. It's interesting to see, too, that over the years, there are certain trends within these branches and within these groups. Some people are very good at choosing nominees, like the writing branch, the screenwriters, are often pretty good at choosing what screenplays get in. And I would say the documentaries are usually pretty good. The foreign films are usually pretty good. And those two categories, uh, along with visual effects, score, song, and the shorts, doc short, live action short, animated short, those all have short lists that are released to the public. So other than that, though, this process is kept very secret. So we don't know basically who almost made a nomination based on the votes who almost got there, who was like sixth in the bubble. We don't really know these things because that shit is kept on lock. Casting directors and marketing folks also have a branch, but they don't have a category. So they're only involved in the process of deciding which films get nominated for Best Picture, which I think is why sometimes Best Picture kind of seems crazy sometimes with the nominees kind of all over the place because it's everyone plus this other group that only has stake in the game for those nominees so yeah i don't know but i do think that casting directors should have their own category for nominations they do have their own guild awards but i think it's important that they have their own nomination for the oscars because some of these casting directors are fucking incredible the stuff that they do i mean i was talking about if beale street could talk last week about how excellent the casting is and that casting director cindy tolan sure enough won a casting award in her guild for casting that film so So I think that deserves to be a space for them. And so when it comes to voting for the nominees, everybody can vote for the nominees. So everyone does their own categories. Then everyone does best picture. But when the nominees are selected, everyone gets to vote for every category. And those are usually you checking off the winner on your ballot and that's it. But best picture has this weird thing called preferential balloting. So instead of just checking off what you want to win, you basically put them in order of what you want to see win. So you do number one, your number one choice, your number two choice, your number three choice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the case now because you can have up to 10 Best Picture nominees. 
So basically what happens is films who just consistently get low votes, like the number nine votes, they automatically get, you know, displaced. And then they kind of shuffle it again to see what the numbers are. If a film gets 50% of the number one votes, it automatically wins, but that usually does not happen. So what they do, you know, if film A gets 30% of the votes, then they will see how many number two and three votes that that film got, basically meaning that's still popular and preferred. And then they'll go onto the number two and the number three films and see how many number one votes the number two and three films got. So it's a very complicated process in which the film that got the most number one votes could not even get best picture honestly it's very very strange sounds like the electoral college it sounds like a lot so for example this is how films that are great and end up being kind of surprises for wins like moonlight and parasite end up winning because people really like these films regardless of if they put them in number one or not these films will garner a lot of number two and number three votes, which will be important because films that are considered frontrunners like La La Land and 1917 may be very disliked by a lot of voters who want to see the other films win. So they'll put those quote-unquote frontrunners lower on the list, and therefore a film like Parasite or Moonlight that has a good amount of number one votes will win by getting a bunch of number two and number three votes from being generally liked. And if I was part of the Academy, that would be part of my strategy. If I see a film that is a front runner like La La Land, like 1917, that is projected to win, I'll put the films that I really want to win up top and put those on the bottom so that they end up getting less number two and number three votes and they end up getting more bottom votes which causes the number twos and number threes to win and the reason why campaigning happens just like a political election is because when we're talking about the academy versus a group of critics right critics it is their job to watch films they're watching everything that is sent to them they're watching everything that they can go to for screenings because it's their job. The people in the Academy are working on their own projects, other people's projects, all kinds of shit like that. So in order to get these films in people's faces and to make sure that they actually watch them because they don't always actually watch them because they don't have time to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, even though they should, they are part of the Academy, you know? That is why studios do campaigns. That's why they put money behind screeners, parties, flying people out to do interviews, just really getting people in front of the voters. And sometimes this matters and sometimes it doesn't. A great example that I saw was two years ago. Everyone was very impressed and very charmed with Rami Malek in terms of his interviews, in terms of appearances and stuff like that. Everyone really liked him a lot, and that is believed to have helped him get Best Actor. Plus, people love to see a dude play a real dude, historically, for some reason. But on the other hand, Olivia Coleman was busy working. She is European. She was not really over here a whole lot, and she still won based on the merit of her performance. So it could really go either way. Sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not. Something else that they do in terms of campaigning is that studios will do for your consideration 
ads and campaigns so that you are thinking of these films in very particular ways. And oftentimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. For example, Warner Brothers campaigned Lakeith Stanfield as lead actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. Somehow, Lakeith and Daniel Kaluuya got nominated for supporting actor, even though Lakeith is clearly the lead in the film. The film is through his gaze. We all know that. Warner Brothers knew that. But I think what happened and what I've been reading happened, again, this is a theory you can't really know for sure because you do not have access to the votes. People really liked that film. People also, I think, had not been hearing a lot of talk for Lakeith as lead actor. People had heard a lot of talk for the people that did eventually get nominated for Best Actor. So if people put in Lakeith as Best Actor, he may have been just under the bubble. And if you like Lakeith's performance a lot and you want to see him nominated regardless, what you do is you put him in the supporting category so that he could still potentially get nominated because that category was not necessarily as strong as it has been in the past. So basically, that's what happened. People just wanted to see him get nominated, period. So they put him in that category, voted him in, and he got a nomination in that category. So those strange things can happen because when they do the initial nominations, those are also done with preferential voting. So it's quite weird, quite strange, but that's how that went down. So... Let's talk about these nominations, shall we? And the Oscar goes to Black Panther Ruth Carter! I got it. Wow. This has been a long time coming. (laughs) Spike Lee, thank you for my start. I hope this makes you proud. It's been my life's honor to create costumes. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you for honoring African royalty and the empowered way women can look and lead on screen. So first of all, though we will not be spending a lot of time talking about the smaller categories, the tech categories per se, I do want to shout them out and talk about them very briefly because they are very important. Oftentimes there's a misconception that that part of the ceremony is quite boring and I highly disagree because I think the tech categories are really often what makes a film special and what elevates a film and often what gets a film a best picture nomination. I'm talking sound, I'm talking production design, I'm talking costumes, I'm talking hair and makeup, I'm talking cinematography, editing, and visual effects. Those things are very, 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 very important in terms of making a film. And these are things that really make a film work. And I should have said before, Hair and makeup is also a category that has a shortlist that is released to the public as well. I also have been loving that in the ceremony, they have been very clear and very upfront about showing you the process of these categories and how these processes work and what exactly 
they contribute to a film by showing the sound waves, by showing mixers mix the sound and sound editors working on creating the sounds, by showing renderings of the production design, the set dressing and the costumes and the hair and makeup and showing how editing works and everything like that. And then I also love how they show you the screenplay next to a scene. I just love those little touches and... They were going to cut these categories from the live telecast, which is absolute bullshit, because like I said, these films would not exist without these categories and without these touches. So a little quick rundown of some of these categories and what I think will win in these categories. In terms of sound, I think that is locked. I think that's going to be Sound of Metal. I think the way that... Sound is used in this film to drop you into Ruben's experience, who's played excellently by Riz Ahmed. I think the sound design, to put you in the experience of him experiencing hearing loss and him experiencing the effects of the surgery of getting a bit of his hearing replaced, is so so, so excellent. It really drops you in in a way that really makes it special and truly makes it a film. It's using this element to the highest extent, I think. And I think that's pretty much a lock. You know, I do miss the two separate categories of sound mixing and sound editing. A lot of people did not know the difference, including people who were in the Academy, which is shameful because I'm a filmmaker at a level that is not near what the people are who are nominated and who are part of the Academy, but I know what the shit is. You know, sound editing is the creation of sound and sound mixing is the mixing of those created sounds, dialogue, music, everything. But now they're just one category and, you know, often those would go to the same film, but not always. Last year, one went to 1917 and one went to Ford versus Ferrari. So there is a difference. And when done correctly, they will be, they'll win differently. This would be an exception this year. I think Sound of Metal would honestly probably win both and it will win this year. Speaking of dropping you into an experience, production design this year, I would personally give to The Father. The production design in The Father is absolutely excellent in terms of dropping you into Anthony's experience of going through dementia. And this character is played excellently by Anthony Hopkins. There are very subtle things that happen to the flat that he lives in or his daughter's flat, played by Olivia Coleman, also excellent performance. There are very subtle things that happen, like the door changing or a piece of art being moved or adjusting or disappearing. These things are done so, so well and subtly, yet if you're paying attention, you notice them. And beyond the performances and the writing, helps to really drop you into the empathy that you feel with Anthony as he's going through this situation. What will probably win production design is Mank, because though I do not like the film, the design of the film is quite excellent because what David Fincher does, instead of making a film about that period, he really makes the film like it is a film of that period, which is a smart move to elevate a film that I think is absolute trash and unnecessary. 
The production design is great. The sound is also great in that. They do make the sound sound like the dialogues from the 50s. It kind of has this like cut, monorial uh, vibe to it that is very effective. So that will probably end up winning. For costumes, I don't really see anyone beating Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Those costumes are excellent and so vibrant and give you so much life. And Anne Roth is a stalwart of the costume category. I could see an upset happening with Emma. Those costumes are also beautiful and so, so dope and so much fun. That could be a potential upset. For hair and makeup, I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is also a lock. For cinematography, I do believe that Nomadland is a lock here. People know how hard it is when you are shooting a film that's mostly outside to always capture the perfect light. It is very difficult. It is more difficult than doing lighting setups inside. And I think everybody knows that. I mean, this is evidence in a film like The Revenant a few years ago, which used all natural light. And I think that there's an expansiveness to the cinematography that's really beautiful. Lots of beautiful landscapes. It's just very well done. There could be an upset again with Mank, but I do believe that Nomadland will win this award. In terms of editing, I'm honestly really not sure. You know, some folks have Sound of Metal down as a win. Some people have Nomadland down as a win for Chloe Zhao. I really love the editing in The Father a lot. The editing for The Trial of the Chicago 7 is one of the better parts of the movie. So if people liked that movie or kind of like Aaron Sorkin enough, they may want to vote for that just so it can win something. But I would be interested to see what happens here. Very interested. This one is kind of up in the air. I am not a betting man, but I do like to make small bets on the Oscar ballots. Last year, I won two pools, so I'm going to do it again this year. And this is a category that I really have to think about, actually. Visual effects, I think Tenet is a lock. I mean, that's really the only thing that people were talking about in terms of that film and, you know, in terms of some of his other films. And in terms of animated film... Soul is a fucking lock for sure. I mean, I'm not really sure why Onward was even nominated. Uh, That was the last film I happened to see in theaters. That and Invisible Man were the last films I saw in theaters before COVID. And it was fine. It definitely gets you with little Pixar tears near the end, but the rest of it's fine. But Soul is winning hands down. For score, I think that also is a lock for Soul. Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste. I think that score is pretty, pretty exemplary. How they are able to mesh the score that the Nine Inch Nails dudes create for The Great Beyond and John Batiste's great jazz score for When We're in New York. I think it's really, really great. And for best song, I think it's either gonna go to her for the song that she did for Judas and the Black Messiah, But it could also potentially go to Leslie Odom Jr. for the song that he did for One Night in Miami. So we'll see about that one. That one could also be pretty tight. And in terms of the shorts, I, the past couple of years, have not been able to catch the shorts, even though previously that was something that I did every year. I went to go see the shorts in theaters. But I have seen bits and pieces of them at work. There's an animated short that is about in part a school shooting that 
definitely got me in the heart for the few moments that I saw and also looks very, very well done. There is a live action short that stars my husband, Oscar Isaac, that I think will probably win because it stars Oscar Isaac and because he's also a producer on the film and people really like him. And I think people would really like to see him walk away with an Oscar. And there's a documentary short about Latasha Harlins that I think will probably win. And we talked about Latasha a little bit in the Menace to Society episode. Latasha Harlins is the young woman who was shot by a Korean shop owner in Los Angeles in the early 90s. So I think that that one is a very powerful subject matter. That will get it to win. And I have also heard that's beautifully done. And that's on Netflix, actually. So I should check that out. So let's move on to these major categories. And the Oscar goes to OJ Made in America. Ezra Edelman and Caroline Waterloo. But I want to acknowledge that I wouldn't be standing here tonight if not for two people who aren't here with us. Ron Goldman, Nicole Brown. This is for them and their families. It is also for others, the victims of police violence, police brutality, racially motivated violence, and criminal injustice. This is their story, as well as Ron and Nicole's. I am honored to accept this award on all their behalfs. Thank you. Now, Best Documentary Feature is a category in which some people who are perhaps outside the film world that are not cinephiles find to be boring. People sometimes think about documentaries and they think about talking heads. They think about like watching videos in school about boring subjects and such. And I have to say that, of course, are there boring documentaries in the world? Yes. But this category actually tends to be one of the better nominated categories. Documentaries these days have really taken on a lot of different forms that are really, really quite cool and very, very interesting. They're way more than just talking heads about subjects that nobody really cares about. They're very investigative. There are so many that take on this really cool cinema verite style that makes it feel like you're actually watching a narrative film, but you're watching real events unfold right in front of your eyes with no interruption from a voiceover, with no interruption from a talking head. So this year, the nominees for Best Documentary Feature are Collective, Crip Camp, The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. So Time is a film that we talked about briefly on a Trust and Believe in the episode that I dove into Malcolm X in because time is about a woman named Fox Richardson who is a modern-day abolitionist and she is doing everything that she can to get her husband released from prison after being served a very unjustly long sentence for a crime that they both committed. Now, she took a deal and she got out of prison in a few years, and ever since then has become an entrepreneur and, again, has been using her platform to not just try to get her husband freed, but so many other Black men who are serving these unjustly long sentences. And on top of all that, she's a mother of six. She has six 
children. So this documentary is absolutely amazing, shot in beautiful black and white. Garrett Bradley is the director, and she was the first black woman to win Best Director for a Documentary at the Sundance Film Festival. So this has a lot of power behind it. This is an Amazon documentary that you can watch on Amazon Prime, and you can also watch for free on YouTube right now. This, I would love to see this win. I would love, love, love to see this win. If this film won, it would be the first time a black woman has won in this category. I would love it, love it, love it. I think it has a very high chance of winning. And at the same time, this next film, My Octopus Teacher, also has a very high chance of winning. This film definitely goes down the easiest out of all of these nominees. And again, all of these nominees are quite good. This one is probably my least favorite in some ways, I think because the octopus is so dope. (laughs) But the dude who kind of goes on the journey and explains to us why this octopus and why this journey means so much to him is kind of annoying sometimes. And there are some moments where they rack focus and it's, you know, super emotional and stuff like that kind of comes off as very schmaltzy. And I will say out of all of them, this documentary is the one that comes off most like a normal cut and dry documentary. Though it's very beautiful It takes place in the ocean. The ocean is fucking gorge. And like I said, the octopus is like fucking amazing. But this is kind of typical of documentaries. It's not boring. It's quite short. But it's just not my fave. Again, also directed by a woman. Four out of the five nominees are directed or co-directed by women. And... The great thing that the documentary committee does is that they give you a category with actual different flavors. They give you different countries. They give you different vibes. I think this is very exemplary of what a category can be because the next film, The Mole Agent, is actually my fucking favorite. So (laughs) The Mole Agent is a film about a investigative agency that hires an older man to infiltrate a nursing home in Chile because a woman has come to them and said that she feels like there's some fishy business going on in the nursing home. She feels like they're stealing her mom's stuff. She feels like they're mistreating her mom. So they hire this guy to go in and figure out what's happening. And it is so good. There are parts of it that are so funny. It is very heartwarming. And it says a lot of beautiful things about growing older and community that can come from that this one is very cinema verite like you dead ass just feel like you're watching a narrative film there's a sense of mystery to it that's really cool and it's also very beautifully shot this one you can check out on hulu and i highly highly recommend that you check it out this one was also directed by a woman and i just can't say enough good about it like i was literally in my bed post moderna shot number 2 you know had the chills and shit but i was still living loving and this is just so good and there is a film that got left out of this category that i loved that made it to the shortlist called dick johnson is dead that is on netflix and i think the reason why it got left out because these two films are quite similar 
And at the end of the day, as much as I love Dick Johnson is Dead, which you can check out on Netflix, I highly recommend that as well. The Malt Agent just is very, very special. It's a very special and very different film. And I don't think it's going to win. I think it's definitely between Time and My Octopus Teacher, but great, great film. The next film is something that you can also catch on Netflix, along with My Octopus Teacher, which is also on Netflix. And this film is called Crip Camp. Crip Camp tells the story of a camp called Camp Jeanette that was in the Woodstock, New York area that was very, very, very poppin' in the 70s especially. And this tells the story of people who went to this camp for people with disabilities, young people with disabilities, and the counselors, and kind of what this camp did for them in terms of visibility, in terms of really seeing themselves as not outcasts, as not weirdos, as full human beings as they should be able to see themselves as. And this story takes us to how people who went to the camp and people who were counselors at the camp became very, very, very active in getting the ADA, which is the American Disabilities Act, ratified in Congress. It is an incredible story. It is a beautifully told story. It is a bit of mix of talking heads and archival footage, so it is approached from a very normal documentary sense, but it's a beautiful story. It's very, very good, and it reminds me about how much people with disabilities are visible in this year's Oscars, because we have a film like this, and then we also have a film like Sound of Metal, which, of course, deals with people who are dealing with hearing loss. Last but not least, we have Collective, which is an incredible, incredible, also cinema verite documentary. There are no talking heads. There are no narrators. You really are just thrown into the story and you're watching it happen bit by bit. It's unfolding like a narrative film. And Collective is a film that is about a terrible fire, a terrible accident that happened in Romania at a concert venue in which there was a huge fire, many people died, and many people were hospitalized. And here is where things get crazy. Many people died in the hospital, not because of their burns, but because of a cleaning agent that these hospitals were using that was diluted. And so these journalists, these incredible, incredible journalists, They say to themselves, we have to do something about this. We have to investigate this. This is our job. We cannot side with the authorities and kind of just shut up about this. We have to find out why this is, where this is coming from, and how to stop it and see where else this is happening and to see how many people have died at these hospitals and what the fuck is going on. So it becomes very political. It almost feels like a thriller in some ways. And... My friend Cyrus on Letterboxd said an incredible thing. They said they wish that American journalists had this much gall, had this much courage to go after these people because you know this shit is happening in America in some ways. We have to have more brazenness about things that are happening in this world, in these systems, especially in a country like America 
especially in a country like America. So Collective is definitely a call to action to journalists to do the right thing, not side with the authorities, and really go after what is happening in these systems in this world. It's incredible. And Collective is also nominated for Best International Film. This also happened last year where there's overlap with a doc and international film. And that film was called Honeyland, which you can also check out on Hulu. And that also has a very cinema verite style. And international film, this category, is one that people also kind of shit on that are outside of the film world. When people say they don't watch foreign films, I'm like, what the fuck do you mean you don't watch foreign films? Some of the best films ever made are foreign fucking films. They are international films that are not in the English language. And if you don't like to watch international foreign films because of subtitles, you need to get over that because many international films are so visually stunning that the subtitles almost become one with what you're watching. And people who are hearing impaired have to always watch things with subtitles. So get over it. Just get over that. Okay? So the nominees that we have for international feature film are Another Round from Denmark, Better Days from Hong Kong, Collective, again, from Romania, The Man Who Sold His Skin from Tanzania, which is the only one of these films that I have not seen so far, and Quo Vadis Aida, which is from Bosnia and Herzegovina. I know I fucked that up. I know I fucked up the pronunciation. But I'm going to start with Kovadis Aida. This film is fucking incredible. Incredible, incredible. It is one of the best war films that I have ever seen in my life. This is a film that is about the Bosnian genocide that happened in 1995. And it is from the point of view of a woman named Aida, who is a English translator for the UN. And it shows in a lot of ways what a bad fucking job they do when they interfere with wars. It's necessary in some ways, but in some ways they just absolutely fuck shit up. I'm not going to say a lot about this film because I want all of you to watch it. It is absolutely incredible. It is just beyond many things that I've seen. There is always an international film that absolutely throttles me and shakes me, and I never forget it. Last year, during the beginning of quarantine, I saw a film called System Crasher, which is a German film that's on Netflix that you should also watch that affected me in the same way that this film did. Just watch this film. It's available to rent on Amazon. I think it's also available to rent on Apple TV. Go in blind. Don't read much about the event. Just watch this film. I beg of you. I do not think it'll win. If this film wins, I will scream because I think it's so good. But there are other films in here that we'll get to that I feel like have a better shot at winning for many various reasons. Again, like I said, I have not seen The Man Who Sold His Skin. We talked about Collective already. Better Days from Hong Kong. This movie is also incredible. And I will say it is a shame how few Asian films have been nominated for Best International Feature Film. Asian films are some of the best films that I've ever seen, period, 
period, period. And this film is no exception. This film is excellent. This film tackles bullying in a way that I have not seen tackle before. It's giving you flavors of Wong Kar Wai films. It's giving you flavors of Heathers without the camp, without the humor. There's very little humor in this film. And... It's also kind of giving you a little bit of YA flavors because it is based on a novel. It's absolutely wonderful. It tells the story of this young woman who witnesses another young woman who's been bullied commit suicide at the school. And there's all this pressure going on for all of them for their exams. And also... Since this young woman is now dead, this young woman that the film is about now becomes the target of these bullies. This one girl in particular is like the head bully, and every time she got what was hers in this film, I was screaming, fuck her up, to the television. And this is a teenager, so this is how visceral this film feels. It is tender, it is heartbreaking, it is gut-wrenching, it is terrifying, it is... So, so good and very well-deserved this nomination. This is another category that usually does a very, very good job at nominating films. Are they often very tragic? Yes, but there are a lot of fucking tragic things happening in this world. I'm sorry. This is just the way it is. And I think it's very important to make films about bullying because bullying is really at an all-time high. Kids are shitty and they get worse and worse and worse and worse. So this is a great film. Also available to rent on Amazon and Apple TV, I believe. And this last film, which I think is the film that will probably win... It's called Another Round. This film is available to watch on Hulu. This film is great. If it wins, I will not be mad. It's a great film. This is a film from Denmark. It stars Mads Mikkelsen, who you may recognize from the show Hannibal. He played Hannibal. And this film is about a group of teachers who are also friends, and they decide to go on this experiment that they find online or find somewhere. And this guy at some point said that he believes that all human beings are... 0.5 or 0.05 deficient of blood alcohol content based on their potential to be the best they can be as human beings in terms of functionality, in terms of sociability, in terms of a lot of things in their lives. So these teachers decide to do this experiment on their own and they start drinking at work and they start drinking in their lives and they see how far it can go. This film can definitely be triggering to people who have dealt with addiction, people who have dealt with addiction personally or seen it up close and personal. I liked this film a lot. It deals with a very serious issue as well as adding a lot of humor and fun to it. I liked it way more than I thought I would. And This is a very rare case where there's a surprise nominee in the directing category, which was for the director of this film. This film is very popular on the circuit so far, and like I said, I think it has a very high chance of winning. So let's talk about these screenplay categories. Okay, and the Oscar goes to... Oh, the house! Charlie Wachtel, David Rabinowitz, and Kevin Wilmot has fired me! Before the world tonight, I give praise to our ancestors who helped build this country and was today along with the genocide of its native people. We all connect with our ancestors. We will have love, wisdom, regaining, we will gain our humanity. It will be a powerful moment. 
the 2020 presidential election is around the corner. Let's all mobilize. Let's all be on the right side of history. Make the, make the moral choice between love versus hate. Let's do the right thing. You know I had to get that in there. Screenplay is another category in which people usually tend to do it right. The writers of the Academy are for the most part really smart people. I think it's really hard to be a writer and be a dumb person at the same time, especially when you're writing for the screen. I think it requires a lot of intelligence and a lot of drive and a lot of intelligence about what makes a good screenplay when you see it in front of you. So the nominees for Best Writing Adapted Screenplay are Borat, Subsequent Movie Film, Delivery of Prodigious Bride to American Regime for Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. I have not seen The White Tiger, so I cannot speak on it, but I've seen Borat, Subsequent Movie Film, It's fine. I liked it a little bit better than the first one, which I didn't really like at all. I think Sasha Baron Cohen is fine. I'm just not so hip on this concept. I will say it hit home a little bit more because America has been on just even more fuck shit since the first one happened. And there is a bit more heart because this does focus on his relationship with his daughter. Does it deserve Best Adapted Screenplay? Absolutely not. But it won at the Writers Guild of America Awards for Best Adapted Screenplay, which is bananas to me. I don't know. And there's so many fucking people credited because so many people had hands in the screenplay because it's largely improvised and made up kind of like an episode of television with a writer's room, I will say. And there are lots of people with story credits. So I hope it doesn't win, but it won the WGA. Sometimes those line up, sometimes they don't. We'll see what happens. The Father, which I think is probably my favorite of these screenplays. I love screenplays that are adapted from theater and do a very good job at it. I think this screenplay is absolutely wonderful. It feels like a play while adapting to a film excellently. I mean, just like the other screenplays based on plays that I will talk about in this category, they do such magic with taking something that takes place in one setting and opening it up in a way that never feels boring always feels engaging, and that's a feat. And the screenplay is adapted by Florian Zeller, who wrote the play and also directed the film. And also this was adapted by Christopher Hampton, who is a master adapter of plays from other languages, as well as really great screenwriter. He wrote the screenplay for Dangerous Liaisons, and that film is great. So I think this is a great, great screenplay. It's very simple. It's very tight. It keeps you on the edge of your seat in a way that you would not expect. It's full of empathy. It's just absolutely wonderful. 
Nomadland, which I thought before fucking Borat won the WGA that this would win. But I also think Nomadland was not eligible for the WGA. So I still think it has a very big chance of winning. I mean, this is like everyone's fucking favorite film this year. This film has been sweeping so many awards. And it is, again, quite a feat to adapt a book that is essentially just stories from people who live this nomadic life, people who live in vehicles, live in vans, live in these RVs, and kind of go around the world working these part-time jobs and living on the road. They do not have homes. They are not what I would consider to be homeless, like our neighbors who are living outside in places like New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, or basically anywhere else. These people have functional moving homes that you know, go around and they don't want to be tied down to living in a home for whatever reason. And I think to be able to adapt that group of stories into a film is quite incredible. And I think Chloe Zhao is fucking incredible. I would like her to win as many awards as possible on Oscar night. I think she deserves them. Last but not least, we have One Night Miami, which is another wonderful adaptation from the playwright. Kemp Powers wrote the play of One Night Miami. He's also one of the co-directors of Soul, so this could be a great year for him. And again... Just a really wonderful job at opening up this film that takes place in one room <laughs> with four historical figures. I mean, to make that immensely interesting as it is on film is quite a feat. I know some people who didn't care for this film kind of thought it was boring or whatever, but I highly disagree. And I think Kemp Powers did an amazing job adapting his own play for the screen. Something that I think was left out of this category was another play adaptation, and that's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom achieved everything that these other play adaptations achieved and was adapted by Ruben Santiago Hudson, who is the modern master of August Wilson. Guaranteed, if you see a revival of one of August Wilson's plays, if you see anything involving August Wilson, Ruben Santiago Hudson probably had a hand in it. It's a great adaptation. There are so many long monologues and these long beats. And again, it's a really hard thing to do, but he really knocked it out of the park. So it was kind of disappointing for me to see that left out of the shuffle. And the Oscar goes to Jordan Peele. Get out. This uh, means so much to me. I, I, I stopped writing this movie about 20 times because I thought it was impossible. I thought it wasn't gonna work. I thought no one would ever make this movie, but I kept coming back to it because I knew if someone let me make this movie, that people would hear it and people would see it. So I wanna dedicate this to all the people who raised my voice and to everybody who went and saw this movie, everybody who, who bought a ticket, who told somebody to buy a ticket, Thank you. I, I love you for shouting out at the theater, for shouting out at the screen. Let's keep going. Brian Roberts, thank you. I love you all. Thank you so much. Good night. Now, moving on to Best Original Screenplay, we have Judas and the Black Messiah. We have Minari. We have Promising Young Woman. We have Sound of Metal. And we have The Trial of the Chicago 7. Now, The Trial of the Chicago 7 does have a shot at winning because it was written by Aaron Sorkin. And the writing is not my favorite, but I can say at the end of the day, 
you know, the dialogue is written yeah, kind of fine for the most part. It's not, you know, garbage. Like, when we're talking about garbage original screenplays this year, I would throw Mank in there. I think that screenplay is absolute trash. I can see why it's nominated. It has the name of Aaron Sorkin behind it. And a lot of people like prestige Oscar films like this. This feels like your stereotypical Oscar film. And it is what it is, right? So next we have Sound of Metal. And I think this screenplay is really quite good. I think this screenplay deals with a lot of issues that people don't see on screen dealt with such care and such empathy. And that is the issues of dealing with hearing loss, and the issues of dealing with addiction. Really, really great dialogue. Heartbreaking dialogue. Some shit just really gets you in the fucking gut in this movie, and it definitely deserves this nomination. Promising Young Woman is a very divisive film, but I would have to say the thing that I think we can all agree on is that the screenplay was fucking great. I mean, the way that this screenplay deals with the issues of assault, the deals with the issues of being a friend of someone who was assaulted and committed suicide, the way that this film deals with men's responsibility in society I think is really, really great. And in terms of best original screenplay, I think best original screenplay should go to the best original screenplay, and I think it should go to the most original screenplay. My favorite example is a film like Get Out. Get Out won because it is a great, great screenplay, not based on any other, you know, other media, no book, no magazine, no article, nothing like that. But it's also such an original story. And Promising Young Woman, I think, also fits that bill. And I would like to see that win. That one at the WGA, and I think it has a very, very big shot. Minari is also a very beautiful, beautiful screenplay. This is a film that Lee Isaac Chung, who also directed the film, based on his real life growing up. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful textured screenplay. I was very happy to see this get nominated because I thought it might get lost in the shuffle as a film that does take place largely in Korean. I thought it may get lost, but you know, Parasite really changed some shit up because that was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And I think people are more willing now to nominate films that do not largely take place in the English language for Best Original Screenplay. And last but not least, we have Judas and the Black Messiah which is also a good screenplay. I think what this does that The Trial of the Chicago 7 does not do is that the screenplay for this film makes it more than just didactic event, 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 event on a timeline, which many films based on real people and real events can feel like. This film really drops you into an experience of this man who is being used by the FBI to snitch on Fred Hampton. So you're almost bought into a thriller-ish film rather than just kind of watching a biopic, though I would love a biopic about Fred Hampton. What an amazing, incredible person that I think in some ways this film does not give all of its due to. But at the end of the day, that's not the story that they were writing. And I love to see the Lucas Brothers nominated for an Oscar. The Lucas Brothers are Kenny and Keith Lucas, and they are stand-up comedians, and they helped write the story for this film. So they're nominated for an Oscar, along with Shaka King and Will Burson. So 
I think that's really great. And if you know the Lucas Brothers, you should know their show, The Lucas Bros Moving Co., which was one of the greatest stoner cartoons of our generation. Some films that I wish I could have seen nominated for Best Original Screenplay because this category is very important, right? This category often will include films that do get lost in the shuffle in terms of Best Picture, some of the weirder films, some of the more special films that are a little bit more difficult for Oscar voters to imagine being a Best Picture nominee. Do the Right Thing in the 90s is a great example. The 1990 Oscar nominations, great example. But this year, all the original screenplay nominees are nominated for Best Picture. So it feels a little boring in that way, especially when there are films like Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always that could have gotten nominated. Really great film about a young woman who lives in a place in Pennsylvania, I believe, who wants to get an abortion but has to go to New York to get it done. So she takes her cousin to New York and it is a very beautiful film. Once you realize what the title of the film means, it feels like a gut punch. This film is so impactful and so amazing. It is available to watch on HBO Max. I implore you to watch it. I think it got shunned in a lot of ways because it's a smaller film and it's impactful and a bit difficult in some ways. Another film I would have liked to see get Best Original Screenplay nomination is the 40-year-old version. That would have been really great. I think it's one of the most original screenplays I've seen in a while in terms of taking a lot of aspects of different films, different styles, different crafts, and again, a playwright writing a screenplay so it has a really nice texture to it and a really nice rhythm to it. And that's available to watch on Netflix. Uh, Spoiler alert, that will be our nitty gritty next week. So I'll get more into that film next week. Another film that I thought could have been nominated for original screenplay, if it had more of a platform, I guess, but it was a focus features film, is a film called Kajillionaire. It was written and directed by Miranda July. And it's definitely one of the most inventive heartwarming and funny films that I saw last year. And definitely when watching it, the thing that was ringing through my head was original screenplay. This is such an original screenplay. But this film really got forgotten about during awards season. And I think largely this one really did get shafted by lack of theatrical release. Some films really made it through that, but this film sadly did not. But if you have not seen Kajillionaire, I highly recommend that you check it out. It's so fucking funny. And another film that got fucking shunned that I would have loved to have seen get a Best Original Screenplay nomination is To Five Bloods. The Five Bloods obviously being about a subject that is not talked about very much at all, which is black men in Vietnam, the PTSD that they live and survive with years and years later. And also this group of black men coming together to go back to that place to honor their friend, played by the late Chadwick Boseman, and to also find some gold that they buried there years and years ago. What an incredible screenplay. What an inventive film. It's just just so good. So uh, let's move on to best director. We have Thomas Vinterberg for another round. We have David Fincher for Mank. We have Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. We have uh, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. And we have Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. This is a lock. This is a lock. 
Chloe Zhao has been locked for a fucking minute. This is a 100% lock. Chloe Zhao is winning this award and she deserves it. To direct a film of this magnitude, again, we're dealing with a lot of shit outside and that is so difficult. These massive landscapes and you're also dealing with a cast that is largely not actors and to have them blend so seamlessly with the two professional actors being Frances McDormand and David Strayhorn. It is so good. I mean, it tells a story about people that I did not know about really existed in America. And yeah, she just does a beautiful job. I think she absolutely deserves to win this. And she will be the first Asian woman to win Best Director. She will be the first woman of color to win Best Director. And I am very excited to see it. This is... The first time I believe that two Asian directors have been nominated in the Best Director category and the first time that two women have been nominated in this category as well. Emerald Fennel is very deserving for Promising Young Woman. The way that this film is shot and the way that this film is styled is very, 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 very good. I'm really, really excited that she got nominated because when I saw the movie, I honestly wasn't sure what would happen with it, how far it would go, but it's gotten quite far, which is actually really interesting for the Academy. It doesn't really fit a lot of what they usually go for in a lot of ways. Then we have Minari, Lee Isaac Chung. This nomination, of course, made me so happy. I love this movie so much. And the care and love that Lee Isaac Chung put into this film is absolutely gorgeous. It is such a gorgeous film. I'm so excited for this nomination. Another round, Thomas Vinterberg. At first, I was like pissed because I was like, who is this? Why is this movie so hyped about? But he deserves it. I mean, it's a good movie, and he did a good job directing this film. So he's not the one who doesn't deserve to be nominated. It's fucking David Fincher for fucking Mank. First of all, this movie is trash. It's unnecessary. Is it well done from a design standpoint? Yes. And technically from a directing standpoint? Sure, fine. But this dude's a fucking asshole. And it's a shame because I think he's really talented in most of his movies. I like most David Fincher movies. I think they're really good, but he's a fucking dick. There's no reason on God's green earth why you should have actors and crew members and all these people on your team doing a hundred takes of anything, of anything. If your vision is not being met, it's time for your vision to meet what's happening in the room in the present. That is some dick shit that only a straight white man would get away with on set, and I don't like it, okay? I don't fucking like it. And when Chloe Zhao deservedly won the DGA award, she so graciously and dopely went down the whole list of everyone who was nominated, which is this whole list that I just said, minus Thomas Vinterberg, but plus Aaron Sorkin for Trial of the Chicago 7. And they were all so grateful and so touched by her amazing words. But David Fincher just fucking sat there looking like a fucking dick. This movie is bad. It's unnecessary. You cast a man, Gary Oldman, who beat the shit out of your ex-wife, who was his ex-wife, and you cast him in your movie? That's despicable. I don't like this man, and I don't think he should be celebrated in Hollywood anymore. Yes, he made some good films, but that is not an excuse for the behavior that this man carries. And that is the end of that. Okay. Okay. 
People who should be nominated in this category include people like Spike Lee for Defy Bloods, Regina King for One Night in Miami. Can you imagine if there were three women nominated in this category and two women of color? And to have this category be filled with such diversity, can you imagine how major that would be instead of nominating that fucking dick-ass motherfucker? Okay, now that's the end of the rant, officially. Okay. And the Oscar goes to Cuba Gooding Jr. and Jerry Maguire. Regina King, I love you. You did a great job when we made the movie. Everybody involved with the movie, I love you. Oh my goodness, here we are. I love you, I'm gonna keep going. Harley Jr. Agency, everybody, I love you. I love you all. Cameron Crowe. So this Best Supporting Actor category, to me, is a hot fucking mess. It is a mess for several reasons, you know, beyond the fact that Lakeith and Daniel are both nominated in the same category for a film in which Lakeith was clearly the lead, and they are both playing titular roles in this film. But beyond that, there are performances that were awarded early on in these Critics Awards and then also kinda sorta in the Screen Actors Guild that were just left behind. Also, this category is usually not the best in my opinion. Usually there's just a lock very early on. This person rides through an award season and then that is a wrap. It's pretty boring, pretty fucking boring. So, nominees for Best Actor in a Supporting Role this year are Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Racy for Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. First of all, I'm gonna tell you something straight up. The only white man who should be nominated in this category is Paul Racy for Sound of Metal. Paul Racy is excellent in this film, and I'm so happy to see him get nominated. I won't give too much away in case you haven't seen the movie, but there is a scene in this film where his character has to make a choice about what to do with Ruben, who is played by Riz Ahmed. He has to decide what to do with him at some point in this film. And that scene, every time I get a chance to peek in on it when I'm working in the movie theater, it just chokes me up and it moves me so much. Great performance, wonderful performance. He deserves to be in there. Sasha Baron Cohen has no fucking business in this category at all. Sasha Baron Cohen was I in the trial of the Chicago 7. He was fine. If anyone deserves to be nominated for that movie, it's Yahya Abdul-Mantin II. But he plays Bobby Seale. And these white folks, they ain't gonna nominate more than one Black Panther. So there you go. You know, that's pretty much that. I think that they're just gassed that he isn't Borat in real life. And because Borat also came out this year, they want to give him something. But it's like, that's so dumb, especially when you have performances like Glenn Turman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, like 
Coleman Domingo in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, like Kingsley Benadir in One Night in Miami, and like Clark Peters in Defy Bloods. These performances were all talked about and praised and loved early on, and then they were just fucking forgotten about. The critics gave them all awards. They were awarded at the Gothams. It's so crazy to me that the Screen Actors Guild nominated One Night in Miami, Defy Bloods, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for the best ensembles at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. And a lot of the people in the Screen Actors Guild are in the Academy, but where are those nominations? If you like these ensembles, did you like the performances? Like, what's going on? Why are they missing? It's very, very bizarre to me. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. is very good in One Night Miami, but I can't help but feel that he got this nomination in part because of Hamilton, which, you know, it is what it is. And I think he does deserve this nomination. He's very good in this movie. It would have been great to see him and Kingsley nominated in this category. Though Kingsley was put up for consideration by Amazon for best actor in a leading role, obviously that doesn't matter to these people because we have Lakeith in here. So that doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, I would have loved to have seen, instead of, honestly, instead of Lakeith, I would have liked to have seen Glenn Turman or Coleman Domingo for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, only because Lakeith is clearly a lead in this movie. It doesn't have anything to do with his performance. I think he gives a very good performance, but I think Glenn and Coleman doing Olympic work in here with this August Wilson text, which is like some of the most dense and beautiful texts and still making it work for film. I think they deserve it. And Kingsley instead of fucking Sasha Baron Cohen. You know, like, duh. And, you know, I think something that's so special about Kingsley's performance is that so many people have played Malcolm X before, including Denzel Washington, but Kingsley gives it such a different flavor and really approaches it differently and gives us a different side of Malcolm X because of the subject of the film and because he's literally in a different point in his life as Malcolm X than Denzel was when he was playing Malcolm X and in the Malcolm X film. So I don't know what happened there. I really don't. But Daniel is going to win in this category. I think that that is a lock. Like I said, best supporting actor tends to be a fucking lock from Jump and... This is what's going to happen. And, you know, I'm happy for him. I think that he's a very good actor. I thought he was very good in this. I think the acting in this film is the highlight of the film. And he will be walking away with an Oscar, which is pretty dope. You know, there has been discussion about a lot of British actors playing uh, African-American heroes and African-American figureheads in especially civil rights and slavery and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the day, Daniel gives an indisputably good performance. Would it have been cool to see an American actor in this performance? For sure. I mean, there is a different connection that we as Americans have to this history and to these people. And at the end of the day, Daniel showed up and he showed out. So can't blame the brother for doing his job that he was hired for. And the Oscar goes to Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> 
Ever since I was a little kid, I've wanted this. You don't know. <laughs> I come from New York. As a little kid, I lived in the projects. And you're the people I watched. You're the people wanted, made me want to be an actor. I'm so proud to be here. I'm proud to be an actor. And I'm going to keep on acting. And thank you so much. The nominees for this year's Best Actress in a Supporting Role are Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Menk, and Yajung Yoon for Minari, which is one of my favorite nominations out of all of the Oscars. When I saw Minari, I was so blown away, moved, and also tickled in my funny bone by Ya Jung Yoon's performance in Minari as the grandmother in the family. She is so excellent. All of her speeches for awards that she's won so far have been incredible. She won the SAG Award. She won the BAFTA Award. And I am definitely seeing her winning the Oscar. And she absolutely deserves. She is such a queen. Her performance is great and it's deserving and it's everything that you want in a Best Supporting Actress performance. She is fantastic. So she will win and deserves to win. Maria Bakalova is good in Borat. She's fine in Borat. I don't, in my opinion, understand why she was nominated. She's good in this movie, but like... It does not require the skill that some of these performances required, really, at all. Um, and if you're going to nominate a comedic performance like this, why wasn't Tiffany Haddish nominated for Girls Trip? That's all I have to say about that. Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy is a fucking joke and it is a fucking throwaway nomination. Why does the Academy play with this woman year after year after year? This is not even a nomination that she deserves at all. She's going to lose. Why do y'all keep doing this to her? It seems very cruel at this point. She's not going to win. She's just not going to win. This movie looks like trash. This is a movie that I was like, I'm not going to even waste my time watching this movie. It looks so bad. Um, and she looks bad in it. Like, I saw the trailer and I was like, Glenn, Amy, this is not the way. This is not the way to win an Oscar. And there's no way in my fucking mind I thought she would get nominated. But here we are. Here we are. That's a throwaway nomination that I think could have gone to Helena Zengal for News of the World, which I haven't seen, but I loved Helena Zengal in that film that I was talking about when we were discussing Best International Film. She was the lead in the film System Crasher. She is an incredible, incredible young actress that I can't wait to see do more. She could have also probably had Maria's nomination, honestly, because another nomination that I would have liked to have seen happen is Dominique Fishback for Judas and the Black Messiah. She was excellent in that film. I think the Academy has an issue deciphering a subtle performance, obviously, because fucking Glenn Close in this fucking bunch. And Dominique is great. I've loved Dominique ever since I saw her in The Americans. She had a guest role along with Julia Garner, who has become big as well. 
And I think she's a wonderful actor. I can't wait to see more from her. And it kind of sucks that she got left out of the shuffle in the love for Judas and the Black Messiah. So we also have Olivia Coleman in this category in The Father, who does excellent work per usual. Olivia Coleman is fucking untouchable. She is so good. She is so, so good. And she gives you different flavors based on how Anthony Hopkins' character remembers her or thinks about her. It's... So good. Oh my God, it's so good. She is the only person who I could see being an upset in terms of getting in the way of Young Jung Yoon winning Best Supporting Actress. Amanda Seyfried is the literal best part of Mank, though the way that her character is represented is highly inaccurate. So the character that she plays is supposed to be a year older than Gary Ullman. That's not the case in this film. Again, that is just... Trash, 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 trash. And that's not her fault. She was hired to do a job and she did it. Also, this woman apparently did not speak with a Brooklyn accent. I don't know where they got this from, but you know, again, she just showed up and she did her job and she did her job well. And this movie, everything I learn about it just seems more and more and more and more trash. So yeah, this category is okay. There are some missed opportunities, but I think the two shining stars here are definitely Ya Jung Yoon and Olivia Coleman. The winner is Sydney Portier. Because it is a long journey to this moment, I am naturally indebted to countless numbers of people. All I can say is a very special thank you. So this acting category was actually almost perfect. The nominees are Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yun for Minari. The reason why I say it was almost perfect is because Gary Oldman's old ass don't need to fucking be in here, okay? His performance in this movie was not that good. Has Gary Oldman given good performances before in the past? Yes. At the same time, there are things that we know about him now that make it so he does not have to be nominated for an award ever fucking again. This man beat the shit out of his wife at the time. How dare Hollywood as an institution award and laud things like Big Little Lies, which is a very honest piece about domestic abuse, and then at the same time continue to nominate and award men who beat the shit out of women. It is disrespectful and it is terrible and it's something that Hollywood has to stop doing. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and fucking tired of it. Okay, so that's all I have to say about Gary Oldman and his old ass and his performance in this movie that's also not that good. But everyone else I fucking love. I love Riz Ahmed and Sound of Metal. Riz Ahmed has been consistently acting incredibly well since his supporting role in Nightcrawler. When I saw Nightcrawler, I was like, Jake Gyllenhaal is working, but who is this young man in this supporting role? He is so good. He was so good in the night of, and I'm so glad to see Riz Ahmed getting his roses. He is so incredible in this movie as someone who is dealing with addiction and dealing with hearing loss. 
This performance really just moves me in a way that I have not been moved in quite some time by a lead actor performance. And I can say that about the rest of these performances that are nominated in this category. Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. This role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, it is such weird, kind of poetic justice in a way that this is his last role. Levy is a role that all Black actors want to play. This is a pinnacle of Black acting in theater. And Chadwick Boseman is known for playing heroes. And this character is not a hero whatsoever, but he is so real. And Chadwick is absolutely brilliant in this film. It's like almost moving me just talking about this performance and you know, it's it's very sad that Chadwick won't be able to do another role because you see what more he had to give in his career. And I think it's very, very sad that he is no longer with us and he is going to win and he deserves to absolutely win on Oscar night. So rest in peace, Chadwick. Excellent performance. Bringing this role to life in a way that I had not seen before. He's just so good. He's so good. Rest in peace, brother. Anthony Hopkins for The Father, another excellent, excellent performance. In a career of great performances, this unproblematic white man (laughs) gives such a good performance as this man who is dealing with dementia and the way that he approaches this character, you feel so much empathy for him at the same time as feeling like sometimes he's such a dick. It is such a layered performance. It is such a beautiful performance. It's a, it's honestly a performance that kind of left me speechless, just like the rest of these performances outside of Gary Oldman. And... Last but not least, we have Steven Yun. Steven Yun is the first Asian American actor nominated for Best Actor at the 93rd Academy Awards. Oh my God. It is absolutely insane to say that. And he is so deserving of this nomination. He's another person that really morphs into every role that they are given. First of all, he's my second husband. Second of all, every time I pop into the theater to see a bit of Minari, it is so insane to me that this really charming, charismatic guy plays this guy who is so tortured in a lot of ways. It's just really awe-inspiring, truly, truly awe-inspiring, and I'm so happy for Steven. And again, talking about a history-making nomination, Riz Ahmed is the first Muslim actor to be nominated for Best Actor. (laughs) Insane. And the person who should have Gary Oldman's nomination is Delroy Lindo for The Five Bloods. Delroy Lindo in The Five Bloods is one of the best performances that I have ever seen in a film this year, period. Oh, just so incredible. I've never seen PTSD in a black soldier from Vietnam handled with such care, handled with such realness. My uncle is a black Vietnam vet 
and I have a close friend of mine whose father is a Vietnam vet who has PTSD and she tells me stories about things that he goes through and I've never seen such an honest portrayal of this ever on screen. And it is an insult and is disrespectful that this man was not nominated. But Delroy Lindo will continue to give us good performances and I hope that he knows how much this performance is cherished by people outside of this institution. So thank you, Delroy Lindo, for an amazing performance that really shook me and really throttled me. And I just, whew, gives me chills thinking about that performance. If it were up to me, it would be all of the men of color nominated for this performance. Take Gary Oldman out of there and replace him with Delroy Lindo. Then we would have a perfect best actor category. And that's something that we have not gotten for a really long time, honestly. Honestly, this category is usually really fucking boring. But this year it is exciting. Minus the second Gary Oldman nomination. And the Oscar goes to... Halle Berry in Monsters Bay. <laughs> I'm sorry. This moment is so much bigger than me. This moment is for Dorothy Dandridge, Lena Horne, Diane Carroll. It's for the women that stand beside me, Jada Pinkett, Angela Bassett, Vivica Fox, and it's for every nameless, faceless woman of color that now has a chance because this door tonight has been opened. Um, I, I need to thank, um, Lastly, and not leastly, I have to thank Spike Lee for putting me in my very first film and believing in me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So second to last category in this episode that feels like it is about as long as the fucking Oscars, but we are almost near the end. We have Best Actress in a Leading Role, in which the nominees are Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Now, unlike some other categories, this category is pretty fucking great. All of these performances are absolutely excellent, and I would also say that this category is kind of anyone's game, because Viola Davis has won the SAG Award, Andrew Day won the Golden Globe, Frances McDormand won the BAFTA, and Carey Mulligan won the Critics' Choice. At the end of the day, I think it's gonna go to Carey Mulligan, because Carrie Mulligan is someone whose career that everyone really respects. She does not miss. She is a beast. She is such a good actor. And she should have gotten an Oscar the year that Sandra Bullock was nominated for The Blind Side and won for The Blind Side. It should have been between Carrie Mulligan for An Education and Gabourey Sotobe for Precious, but fucking Sandra Bullock ended up winning. Garbage. So... 
it sucks to say that they owe her, but they owe her, and she's also excellent in this movie. She is a tour de force. Frances is great in Nomadland. She already has two Oscars. I wish that she had not won for three billboards. I do not like that fucking movie, but, you know, can't take the past back. And Vanessa Kirby, oh my God. So I talk about St. Anne's Warehouse a lot and the people that I've come in contact with working at St. Anne's Warehouse. Vanessa was in A Streetcar Named Desire, the first season that I was working at St. Anne's Warehouse. She was playing Stella opposite Jillian Anderson, who was playing Blanche, and Ben Foster, who was playing Stanley. Vanessa was excellent every single fucking night. I had never heard of her before. I had never seen her in anything, but she was such a wonderful, wonderful presence on stage. She was such a lovely and humble person. I would sometimes tell her that she was so good, and she would be, like, shocked. I was like, yes, bitch. (laughs) You are so good. You are so incredibly talented and then I think she had just done the first season of The Crown and you know her career has been blossoming ever since and I'm so excited to see her get an Oscar nomination she absolutely deserves it this film is difficult to watch in a lot of ways but man oh man does she absolutely nail it and Pieces of a Woman is on Netflix if you haven't seen it Listen, Andrew Day was fucking incredible in the United States versus Billie Holiday. That movie is not very good. It's not very good. It's not very good. However, Andrew Day was absolutely fucking stellar. Stellar, stellar, stellar work. She deserves to be here with these women, these titans, and I'm so happy to see her get nominated. And honestly... Really crazy that this is the first time in decades that there have been two black women nominated for Best Actress in the same year. So Andra is nominated with Viola Davis. And Viola Davis is incredible per usual in this fucking movie. I do consider the role of Ma Rainey to be a supporting role in my head, I even think that in the play, I think that this is Levy's story. And though she is in the title of the film, she is not the lead character in my head. And I've thought that even before I saw the film, I'm a big fan of the play. But, you know, they owe her in this category from Fences because she is, in fact, the lead of Fences. It's all it's it's all bullshit. It's all fucking bullshit. Um, And, you know, I would honestly be happy to see any of these women win. The one person who I thought was left out of the shuffle was Han Ye-ri for her excellent and very subtle performance in Minari. I think if maybe... If maybe Viola was in the supporting category, that would have left room for Han Ye-ri. But at the same time... I think this category is fucking solid. I think it's one of the best categories. I think it's super fucking dope. So last but not least, let's talk about these Best Picture nominees. And the Oscar goes to... Twelve Years a Slave, Brad Pitt, Diddy Gardner, Jeremy Kleiner, Steve McQueen, and Anthony Katagas, producers. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I apologize for the paper, but 
Otherwise, I'll just uh, bore you all. Well, maybe I'll do the same now, but I'll try not to. Um, I'd first like to thank the Academy and my magnificent agents. I have to say this to these, all, these women. I mean, I have all women in my life, and they're all the most powerful. Last word. Everyone, everyone deserves not just to survive, but to live. This is the most important legacy of Solomon Northup. I dedicate this award to all the people who have endured slavery and the 21 million people who still suffer slavery today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so let's talk about these Best Picture nominees in the, in the opposite order that I want them to win in. Huh? So basically from what I think is the worst to my fave of all the eight nominees that we have this year for Best Picture. Coming in at number eight is fucking Mank. I think this movie is so unnecessary. I think it's a fucking mess. What was the point? What are you trying to get at? Are you trying to get at the relationship between Mank and Orson Welles? Because there's not a lot of that. Are you trying to get at the fact that Hollywood played into political campaigns because number one, duh. Number two, there wasn't a lot of that. I just don't know what the point of this movie was. I get it. David Fincher, your dad wrote a screenplay that he was really passionate about and you wanted to make the movie, but ah, I thought it was trash. I thought it was trash. And again, it's a shame because I do like many of David Fincher's films. Do I still think he's a fucking asshole and a dick? Yes. But when... You're a dick, and you make a bad film, I don't think you should be nominated for it. Regardless of the your past films, I just think it is trash. It should not be here. What should be here instead is a film like The Five Bloods, Maureen's Black Bottom, One Night in Miami, period. Coming up in number seven is The Trial of the Chicago Seven, which is just stereotypical Oscar fodder. It is what it is. You get what you expect. There are some good performances. Yaya is very good. Mark Rylance is very good. These are two dudes who just don't miss. And at the end of the day, I think it was kind of strange at this point with everything that we've been dealing with in terms of everyone who's not white to tell a story of this one time that these white men came against some strife. I don't know. It felt kind of weird. Um, yeah, it just wasn't my favorite movie. It was fine. It was a fine movie. I understand why it won the SAG Award. It would not have been my vote, but it's a all-star cast. So, of course, that's what they voted for. Duh. Coming in number six is Judas and the Black Messiah, which if you are trying to have a best picture category with a lot of variety in it, like I was saying they do with the best documentary category, they leave out films that are good, but feel like are already represented in the category. And that's what they should have done with Trial of the Chicago 7 and Mank because you have Judas and the Black Messiah. You have your movie that is based on history and based on real people. And Judas and the Black Messiah is a very good movie. I do want there to be more black films that are not about... Black Death, Black Pain. It would have been really cool to see a film about the really dope shit that Fred Hampton did. Of course, you know, possibly leading up to his death. 
we all know that he died, but I think what we know less of as a general populace is the amazing, brilliant things that he did along with the Black Panthers and the great shit that he did to bring all these groups of people together. And yes, is that part of this movie? Yes, but the main part of this movie is about how the FBI colluded to get a brother to go against this amazing brother. And again, what we are seeing here is a black person ratting out another black person, which is, I think, why this film got so far with the Academy, because I think that that is something that the Academy can digest. (laughs) And at the same time, this is the first time that we've had an all-black producing team get nominated for Best Picture. So big ups to Shaka King, Charles D. King, and Ryan Coogler. Big, big ups. Coming in at number five for me is Promising Young Woman, a very, very, very good film, a very different film for the Academy to be nominating. Again, like I've been saying, this film says a lot about assault against women. It says a lot about men's role in society when it comes to that and also other women's roles in society when it comes to that, especially when we're talking about these incidents happening on a college campus. People being culpable and needing to be called out and needing to become aware of how their actions have impacted someone's life. I think Carrie Mulligan gives an incredible performance in here. I think it's very well written. Of course, people have a lot of issue with the cops coming in at the end and such, and I just want to see what people's pitches are for any other way the film could have ended. I just want to see what your ideas are because I thought about it and I couldn't come up with any myself. Coming in at number four is Sound of Metal, which again is another film that I think is not typical for the Academy to nominate. Does it kind of fall a little bit... Not completely to pieces, but kind of dips a little bit in the uh, act where he goes to Paris. It does dip a little bit, and I think that's what really keeps it from being a truly perfect movie because we have excellent performances from Riz Ahmed. We have a great performance from Paul Racy, great screenplay, great editing, great sound. It has a lot of the elements of a perfect movie, except for, I think, parts of the ending. But it's a great movie. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. This one is streaming on Amazon. I know this is one that a lot of people have not seen yet. Check it out. I think it's really great in terms of visibility for people with disabilities and people who are dealing with addiction. So great, great movie. Really, 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 really good. Very worthy of a Best Picture nomination. Coming up at number three is Nomad Land. Great, great movie. I watched this over the winter break, if that's what you can call it. Uh, I was watching it through the New York Film Festival. They were doing encore screenings of it during the holidays. I just think it's a great movie. It's very fucking consistent. It is, again, about a, a slice of American life that I did not know about. It is very good. It's just a great movie. I I get, I guess, to a certain point, the conversations about Chloe Zhao being a woman from a rich family making films about people who are not rich, but whatever, it's not poverty porn. It's not, she's not making poverty porn. 
I think it's a good movie. It's a fucking good movie. Give this woman her props. Just give her props and let her live. Please, please, please. Number two, The Father. This movie fucked me up. It fucked me up. It fucked me up. If you know someone who has dealt with dementia, this movie will just give you so much empathy for what this person was going through. You will just watch this movie and be like, oh my God, Jesus Christ. Great performances, great editing, great production design, great directing, great script. When we are talking about best picture, Best Picture needs to have all of these elements in order to win in my eyes. And these top three have it all. They have it all. They really do. And the father just, oh my God, it fucked me up. It fucked me up. It's a great film. Seek this one out. Just watch it. Watch it, watch it, watch it. And coming in at number one is Minari. Minari was one of my favorite films of last year. I just think that it is so incredibly touching, so well acted, great screenplay. It is not easy to tell a story about your own life, especially in the past, and not have it come off as didactic, as sappy, as all of these things that it can come off as, but Minari is just, it's just really stellar to me. Again, great acting, great script, well shot, well edited, well directed. The score is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. So I'm very happy to see this film make it so far from being a film that I heard about winning the Audience Award and the Jury Award at Sundance, making it all the way here. I am very happy for this movie, very proud of this movie, and very proud of the story that it tells. It's just all around an excellent film. So, in conclusion with all of this shit, y'all... Oh, and I should also say that at the end of the day... I do believe that Nomadland is going to win. Nomadland has been definitely sweeping a lot of awards, and I think that the Oscar will be no exception when it comes to winning Best Picture. So in conclusion with all this shit, sometimes people ask, you know, why are the Oscars so important? Who gives a fuck about the Oscars? And it's like, if you're in this industry, you give a fuck about the Oscars because it is, you know an institution, whether we like it or not. It is part of what we do. Should we ever make a movie so it can be nominated for an Oscar? No, because those movies always come off as such. I think it's important to know the ways in which this industry is moving because at the end of the day, these nominees are actually quite different in a lot of ways than they have been in the past. We are seeing some movement, some progress. It is slow as fuck progress, like the slow as fuck progress that's happening in this country. But it is so interesting to see the way that this institution moves forward. And I hope that we can see it move more forward in the future it's important to see what wins and how that reflects on what's happening in this country at the time. I have seen 
pretty much every single Best Picture nominee from 1960 to the present. There are some that I refuse to engage with. Like Green Book. I've seen enough of it to know that it's trash and Marshall Ali was really good and deserved the Oscar. But the Oscars can, in an interesting way, really reflect what's going on at the time. And I think that they are an interesting part of history. So I think when people are looking back, they will be able to tell a lot about what's happening with us by watching these films. And I hope that you have learned a lot about how the Oscars operate, more about some of these films that you may not have seen, and more about the films that were left out. And I hope that you constantly seek those out. Definitely look at the films that are nominated at the Independent Spirit Awards, the Gotham Awards. Um, Another person I forgot to mention who I think was a great, great performance, but definitely got lost in the shuffle for Best Actress is Nicole Bahare for Miss Juneteenth, which, you know, wasn't going to happen. The movie is too small for it to have happened. But, you know, check out things like that. People who are winning those kinds of awards, too, because those people are next. They are coming, and we need to support them to get them a bigger platform. And, you know, as important as this institution is to the world of film, I would say never let it be the end-all and be-all, because they've made a lot of mistakes in the past, particularly when it comes to Best Picture, as well as nominating actors. I mean, we all remember Oscar So White, and it's happened again and again and again. There's a lot of progress for them to make, you know, just like any other mostly white institution. And there are still many awards that a Black person has never won. A Black person has never won Best Cinematography, Best Director, Best Editing, Best International Film, Best Hair and Makeup, but that could change this year with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. A Black person has never won a Live Action Short. And also a Black person has only won Best Picture once. Those awards are awarded to the producers. And the only time that's happened is with 12 Years a Slave, because Steve McQueen was a producer on that film. So there's a lot of work to be done. And that is also reflective of the industry itself. There's so much work to be done in this industry in terms of getting more Black folks in those jobs. You know, it's... There's a lot of work and progress is being made, quote unquote, but we will see what they have for us in future years. So thank you all so much for listening to this long as fuck episode of me draining on about the Oscars. But I could talk about this shit all day. And again, thank you so much to Jason Smith for getting me to do this episode. And thank you per usual to the team. Matt Mozzarella on audio, Cindy Edward, our production assistant, and Miss Amanda Seals, our executive producer. Next week, I will be getting into the nitty gritty of the 40-year-old version. So until then, stay safe, stay black, stay blessed. Thank y'all so much. Bye.